Shalom, this is Rabbi David Tilkiger of Congregation Maim Chaim, the Eastern Shores Messianic Synagogue in Daphne, Alabama. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast of our message from Shabbat service. We pray it is a blessing to you and that you see the beauty and light of Yeshua Meshicheinu Yeshua, our Messiah, in every word you hear. Amen. Our Father and our King, Father, we worship you, we love you, and we adore you. I ask you, Lord, to speak, speak to us today, Father, as we open up your word that it be your message heard, your words received, that nothing of me will be involved except that which you have ordained for this purpose, that you will prepare our hearts to hear from you and to receive from you, and that you will interact with us today. B'Shem Yeshua Meshachinu, in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, we pray, and everyone says, Amen. Uh, so we are, for those that are new to this experience, we are in uh, literally the middle of Rosh Hashanah. Uh, last night, sundown through tonight at sundown is uh, Rosh Hashanah. Next Friday and Saturday is Yom Kippur. Um, it's a 10-day period on the Jewish calendar, the scriptural calendar, the whatever you want to call it, calendar, Hebrew calendar, uh, uh, that starts with Tishri 1 on the uh, Hebrew calendar and runs through the 10th of Tishri. And these 10 days are called the 10 days of awe or the 10 days of repentance. Um, and it's a time in which we spend great effort in, uh, in Judaism focusing on restoration with the Lord, focusing on Teshuvah, which is the Hebrew concept of repentance. Um, it's a time frame that is, is uh, in my opinion, extremely beneficial. Now, look, don't get me wrong. As believers, we should be repenting every day because we're going to mess things up left and right, right? Uh, anybody that doesn't need to repent every day is lying to themselves and thus needs to repent more. Um, we need to repent every day, no question about it. Uh, but it's really neat to, to dive into this biblical concept of repentance during this time period and kind of grapple with this reality and, and in particular to be able to experience uh, a part of our life as believers walking in the shoes, if you would, of Yeshua and his Talmudim, his disciples, uh, because this is how they would have worshipped in the interaction they would have had with the Word of God and, and so on. And so as we uh, are moving through this year and getting ready for the, the High Holy Days uh, over the last few months, I really felt the Lord put it on my heart to do something, and I talked about this briefly last night, to do something I don't do very often, which is a sermon series leading through the High Holy Days. And so, uh, as you can see on the screens, the, the sermon series is called The Call, uh, a High Holy Day uh, sermon series, or a High Holy Day series. I don't think sermon's in the word there. but uh, It's called The Call, a High Holy Day series. On, we're going to be focusing on three different aspects of the call of Messiah upon believers. The first is what we're focusing on in Rosh Hashanah, the call to repentance. And so last night we dealt with personal repentance, with the individual repenting and walking right into Shabbat with the Lord. And then this morning we're going to deal with a different aspect of the call towards repentance that I think is equally important, possibly uh, even more so because it gives us a necessity to do something for somebody besides ourselves. For Yom Kippur, we're going to follow that train of thought into the next aspect of the call that the Lord has given us as believers and followers of Yeshua, as those bought by the blood of the Lamb, and that is the call to sanctification. So we'll have a specific message on Erev Yom Kippur, the evening service next Friday for Yom Kippur, uh, and then a new message on Saturday morning uh, following that concept of the call to sanctification. And for Sukkot, we're going we're gonna to focus on the call to, uh, the call to kingdom living, the call to living the life, a life 
of a believer in the kingdom of Messiah uh, and what that means, what that looks like, and kind of dive through that some. Uh, but I really feel like this is a, a timely message. I feel like this is a timely uh, place for this to be dealt with because a lot of times as believers, we, we, we forget to look at the time frame and timetables. I said earlier in our service, the Moedim, the appointed days of Adonai, you know, we, we often call them, these are the Jewish holidays, right? But they're not really. They're, they're God's holidays. And he loans them to us and he lets us use them. Um, and, and he commanded Israel, the Jewish people, to observe them. But they're not ours. And we've got no real ownership to them. We've got no real grapple of our own with them. They're gods and we get to take part in them. Uh, but, but the reality is, is that each of these feasts, as we mentioned earlier, have a prophetic purpose. And I talked about this uh, some last night. I want to give a rundown of the, the prophetic purpose of each of the feasts for those that weren't here last night or didn't hear the message. Uh, but we have a series of, of Moedim, a series of appointed days in Leviticus 23. Uh, and the very first one is the Shabbat. Right out the gate, it tells us about the weekly Shabbat. Um, and it's the most important, in my opinion, so I'll come to it at the end. Um, but the next thing we read about is Pesach, or Passover. Uh, and, uh, and we realize that the spring feasts, as I said, have a very real purpose prophetically. They point to the first coming of Messiah. They point us directly prophetically to the first coming of Messiah. So in the spring feasts, uh, Messiah came to fulfill Passover by being our sacrifice lamb, our Passover lamb. He came to be our Passover lamb so that death, eternal death, which is the ultimate punishment for sin, the ultimate punishment for uh, uh, walking outside of right relationship with the Lord, the ultimate punishment for lack of righteousness, or however else you want to word it, uh, is, is, is uh, uh, eternal death. And so the, the blood atonement of Messiah was given so that we would be allowed for death to pass over us, just as it did the children of Israel with the blood upon the doorpost in Egypt. Uh, and then we move forward to uh, Yom HaBikurim, first fruits. And first fruits, we recognize the Yeshua came as the fulfillment of the first fruits of resurrection. Uh, and so we are awaiting to be brought into the reality of resurrection. Then we move forward to Shavuot. Shavuot, Israel stood at Mount Sinai in Exodus 19 and 20 and heard the audible voice of the Lord speak forth the Asirat Hadibrot, the ten words. And it is then fulfilled again after the coming of Mashiach, after the coming of Messiah on uh, Shavuot, or what's known in the church as Pentecost. Uh, and the reason we get the name Pentecost is because it means 50 days, and it comes from the concept of Shavuot, which we're commanded to count 49 days, and on the 50th day, we are to celebrate Shavuot. And so in Hebrew, Shavuot is the Feast of Weeks, seven weeks of seven days. Uh, and so the two run congru congruently. They're, they're very much important. They, they, they are the same exact feast, although we may celebrate them at different times in tradition of Jewish tradition and Christian tradition some years. But the, they're the same exact feast. And the reality is, is that in Acts chapter 2, the outpouring of the Ruach HaKodesh was the prophetic uh, fulfillment of what we experience at Sinai and what was promised through the festival, the Moed of uh, Shavuot. And so what's really neat is you can look at Acts chapter 2 and you can look at Exodus 19 and 20 and you can see the way that they line up almost perfectly with the fire upon the mountain and the fire upon the heads of the believers and the voice of the Lord coming forth from the mountain and the, uh, the, the, the prophetic and uh, speaking in tongues of the believers when the Spirit fell on them and the sound of the heavenly shofar and the mighty rushing wind and all these concepts that, that flow with each other and, and match up perfectly. And then we look at the calendar 
going, okay, cool. Well, what about this fall feast? What about all those other ones, right? What about Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur and Sukkot? And they all have to do with the second coming, the return of Messiah. And so the, the, the festival of Rosh Hashanah, which we're celebrating right now, is a reminder of the shofar blast, that great and final shofar blast that we are awaiting. So every year we get to practice that reality of hearing that shofar and taking part in that so that when the time comes that that great shofar blast occurs, we are alert, aware, and ready. Then you have Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. It's also called the Day of Judgment, uh, in which I believe we will see the judgment throne of the Lord and, and all of creation will, will pass through His judgment. Uh, and as believers in Messiah, as believers in the blood of Atonement Yeshua, thankfully we hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. Uh, but it has its prophetic realities on Yom Kippur. And then we have Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles, also known as the Feast of Ingathering, in which I believe we will experience the Ingathering of the Wedding Feast of the Lamb and a whole bunch of other things that will go on. Uh, and we'll talk more about that in a couple of weeks. But I wanted to kind of give you a quick rundown. And then finally, like I said, last but not least is the weekly Shabbat, in which there's a whole bunch of commandments, mostly dealing with the temple service and priesthood and sacrificial system that we just can't keep today. It's just not possible. There's no temple standing. The Lord said once the temple's placed in Jerusalem, we can't make sacrifices outside of there. Uh, so we can't, you know, exactly go around slaughtering lambs and calves and, uh, and uh, red heifers and whatever else and saying we're doing it to the Lord because it's contrary to his word. Not to mention Yeshua was our final sacrifice. We don't really need to do it anyways. Um, but as we look at all this, what we realize is that there were two things about the Shabbat we can actually keep today. The weekly Sabbath, the seventh-day Sabbath that we can keep today, first and foremost, is we're commanded to rest in the presence of the Lord. We're to stop daily activity, work, school, whatever else, and literally rest in the presence of the Lord. The second reality, the second commandment that we can honor is that we are commanded to have a holy convocation, much like this. We're to gather together with like-minded believers in worship in the very presence of the Lord. Well, there's two things we definitively know about heaven. And since we're talking about prophecy and the connection of prophetic realities to the Moedim, there's two things we know definitively about heaven. It's a lot of allegory, right? Streets are paved with gold and uh, mansions and, and so on and so forth. But the, the reality is we only know two definitive things. First and foremost, we will eternally be resting in the literal presence of the Lord. And second is we will eternally be gathering together with the angels and saints in a holy convocation, worshiping in the literal presence of the Lord. So the Lord has given us an opportunity to experience heaven on earth 52 weeks a year, every year, every, uh, uh, every year of our life, over and over and over again on the seventh-day Sabbath. And it's this beautiful reality. Uh, and so I just wanted to kind of give you some rundown very briefly, and we could go for hours on end on dealing with the, the Moedim, the appointed days, but I wanted to give you a brief rundown on those and then jump right into uh, what I feel the Lord has put on my heart for this morning and for this series on the call uh, as it pertains to this prophetic reality. And I think especially the days we live in, this is a very real prophetic reality. Rosh Hashanah, we're no longer, I don't think we're, we're, we're celebrating it now uh, because Judaism does it. We're not celebrating it now because it's coming. We're celebrating it now because we need to be aware. We need to be alert because things are progressing. Things are moving fast. If you read Matthew 24, Literally, almost every single thing I read in Matthew 24 is happening now. It's just the reality about it. Uh, and whether we like to accept it or not, whether it puts us out of our comfort zone as believers, you know, we like to, to hunker down and, well, this is my world and I'm going to live my life for the Lord and nobody else matters and it's just what, I'm going to walk my life for the Lord and that'll be good enough and that'll give. But the reality is, is we don't have that luxury anymore. All right? It's not about you and I anymore. It's not about our own personal individual lives anymore. It's about the world. It's about seeing more people come to faith because the world we live in today is going down the drain rapidly. 
And it's an important reality, as we spoke last night in Second uh, Peter. Uh, Peter says that the reason that the Lord uh, uh, hasn't come back yet is not because he's taking his time, it's not because he works on our timetable, but it's because he's giving as much time as possible that all may come to repentance. All right? And that's an important reality. It's important because of the fact that you and I as believers must come to repentance before accepting Messiah. We must come to repentance day in and day out as believers in Messiah, as those walking out this life of faith. But even more so, it's our responsibility biblically to lead others to repentance, salvation, and restoration of Messiah. It is our duty to do these things. And far too often, the individual within the body of Messiah, we're too quick to let somebody else do it. It's, you know what? I don't have a missions calling, so I'll leave that. I'll support missionaries, but I don't have a mission calling. You know what? Oh, well. You, you do, in fact, have a mission calling. It's called the Great Commission. All right? And that's to all of us. You may not be called to go to Ethiopia or to uh, 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 Siberia or to Alaska or to Brazil, but you are called here in Baldwin County or Mobile or Pensacola or wherever else it is that you live. You are called to go there for and make Tamodim disciples of all nations. We are commanded to be missionaries. We are commanded to lead people to the Lord. If you have your scriptures, open up in Luke chapter 24, beginning with verse 45. Luke chapter 24, beginning with verse 45. This is post-Yeshua's resurrection. Uh, this is pre-Yeshua's ascension. As a matter of fact, the next thing we read about is Yeshua's ascension. Uh, this is right in between. It's that awkward time period where the believers, the, the disciples saw him, yet weren't sure they saw him, yet kept interacting with him, even though they weren't really sold on that it was really him. And they, they kept going back and forth over and over again. And, and I'm pretty sure most of us in this room would act the same way if he stood physically right in front of us now. We'd go, oh, it's like, wait a second. Is it, I don't know, maybe it is. What are we doing here? I don't understand this. Uh, and this is that weird time frame from the disciples where they're back and forth trying to figure it out. But alas, here they have finally come to terms with the good news, the besor that this is Messiah resurrected to new life, and that that resurrection is ours. He ascends uh, shortly after this, and then Acts 2 begins uh, in the narrative from Luke uh, shortly after that. Verse 45 says, Then he opened the minds, their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, So it is written, that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance for the removal of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses to these, of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with the power from on high. So there's a couple of things we're looking at here. Uh, first and foremost is that very beginning line. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. If all we do is hold the book in our hand and try to read it and dig into it as humans, we're never really going to understand it. As a matter of fact, people are murdered day in and day out because they don't quite understand the commandment, thou shalt not murder. They don't quite understand and grasp that, right? Uh, it's all kinds of stuff in there that, that you've really got to 
to, to understand from the Lord's perspective because we're reading a book authored by the presence of the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord, inspired by the Spirit of the Lord. And so we have to look at it from His perspective. And the only way we can do that is in that Jeremiah 31 concept of the New Covenant, that the New Covenant is written upon our heart, that circumcision of the heart, right? Not just circumcision of the flesh. We go back to, I mean, we can look in the Brechadashah, and Paul talks about the circumcision of the heart. The Brechadashah is the New Covenant writings, the New Testament. Paul talks about the circumcision of the heart, but he's not the first one. As a matter of fact, we go back to Moses, and Moses talks about it. The Lord told Israel in Exodus 19, I will circumcise your heart that you will serve me. Right? And this covenant of the circumcision of the heart didn't just suddenly appear on the scene. It's been a part of things since the very foundation of what God's intentions were for his people, for his creation. And as we look at Jeremiah 31, we recognize that this is the definition of the circumcision of the heart. That the Lord, through Yeshua's sacrifice, is going to uh, uh, circumcise our heart in a way that the new covenant becomes a reality in our lives. His word is no longer just something we read on paper or on parchment, but instead something that is a very real part of our lives because the Spirit of God that inspired those words now resides within us. The Messiah, Yeshua, who is the Word made flesh, now resides within us. So we're no longer looking at the Word as outsiders looking in, but instead with the eyes of God into the Word of God. And it changes everything. So when he says here in verse 45, then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. It wasn't like all of a sudden he went through the Scriptures and said, okay, well, this means this, and this means this, and this means this. He went through their heart changed their hearts so that they were able to grasp the scriptures from his perspective and what he actually meant. We go down to verse 49. He says, And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. The promise from the Father is the Ruach HaKodesh. In other places in the gospel, he says, The Comforter will come after me, and in the Comforter you will be able to do even greater things than I have done. Acts 2, just a few chapters in, in the Lukean letters, just a few chapters later, we come across Acts 2 in which we read about the outpouring of the Ruach HaKodesh. In Acts chapter 1, we read the narrative of Yeshua's ascension, and immediately afterwards, the outpouring of the Spirit of God, the Ruach HaKodesh, comes. And we see the body of Messiah is transformed and changed. In Acts 10, we see that that gift of the Spirit then transitions and transfers out. And it's not just on the Jewish people in, in Israel anymore. It's now on, available to all believers or to all of the nations who come to faith as believers in Messiah Yeshua. It wasn't something meant just for the Jews. No more than the Word of God, the faith of God, the people of God, the Torah of God, or anything else in the Old Testament was meant specifically for the Jews. It was meant for God's creation he gave it to the Jews first to bring to the nations. And we move to uh, Romans with Paul's writings. And Paul says in Romans, look, it came to the Jew first and likewise or in the same way to the nations. All right? It had to come through Israel because that was God's promise. It's not that Israel was particularly special, but that it had to come through Israel first. And so here in verse 49, he says, The promise of the Father will come. Stay here until you are clothed in the power from on high, until you are clothed in the power of the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit. And so it's important that we grasp that because the, the, the thing that we're supposed to do once we're empowered by the Ruach is what's in the middle. It says, so it is written that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance for the removal of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem and going out. They had to stay in Jerusalem till the outpouring of the Spirit of God. Then they could go out through Jerusalem and out from Jerusalem to the nations and bring a message of repentance to the world. 
See, it's interesting because we can see this concept of repentance over and over again in Scripture. Jeremiah is covered with it. Isaiah is covered with it. Ezekiel is covered with it. The Lord calls Israel to repentance over and over and over again. A lot of times in the body of Messiah, we have kind of this really weak, watered-down uh, idea of repentance because our mentality of repentance as believers is, oh, I just lied to somebody. Okay, well, Lord, will you forgive me because I lied? Okay, cool, I'm forgiven, and we go out the next day to go lie to somebody else only to turn right back around and ask for forgiveness again so we can go lie again. And we're just covering our butts at this point. We're not really living a life that is changed, that is transformed by the Spirit of God, by the presence of God, by the salvation of God. But when we move forward, we realize that in Hebrew, the idea of repentance is teshuvah, the Hebrew word teshuvah. And teshuvah means to return. I talked about this last night. Uh, teshuvah, if, if you're walking uh, down the, the aisle here, walking towards the exit, and you realize, wait a second, I'm walking away from the presence of the Lord. You stop dead in your tracks, you turn around, and you walk the other way back to his presence. That is the idea of repentance in Hebrew, teshuvah. That is the scriptural idea of repentance. And teshuvah is literally that we stop the crap that we're doing. We stop messing up our lives and messing up everybody else's lives around us. We change our lives in the presence and transformation of Messiah, not on our own regard, but in the transformation of Messiah. We change our lives when we walk in faithfulness and righteousness with Him, in Him, and to Him. Short of that, we haven't actually repented. We've just covered our hides. And that's not what the Lord has commanded us to do. That's not what the Lord has called us to do. He has called us to be transformed and changed so that we can go into all the nations and lead others to Messiah. We go back just a little bit to Matthew chapter 28. Everybody's familiar with this, the Great Commission, as I mentioned earlier. Matthew 28 verse 16 says, Now the eleven disciples went to the Galilee, to the mountain Yeshua had designated. When they saw him, they worshipped, but some wavered. And Yeshua came up to them and spoke to them, saying, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, immersing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always, even until the end of days. One of the things that's neat in Judaism is we wear these really weird things uh, on a regular basis, right? I got this awkward little hat on my head called a yarmulke in Yiddish or a kippah in Hebrew. Uh, I have weird little tassels, fringes, whatever, hanging uh, from my talikatan under my shirt. Uh, we have these things that we, we do on a regular basis. They come from Scripture, at least scriptural concepts. The, the talikatan, the tzitzit, are, are a commanded part of Scripture. The kippah, not so much. It's a tradition, but they have really neat purposes to them. Uh, and uh, the kippah, the yarmulke that we wear, is there to remind us at all times that God's watching us kind of a checks and balance of our lifestyle that we're constantly in thought, wait a second, is this something that honors the Lord, that glorifies the Lord? Uh, another reality with it is that Exodus 19 and 1 Peter 2 tells us that we are the king's kohanim, the king's priesthood, right? And so as a priesthood, the, the high priest Aaron, when he was in service before the Lord, had to have his head covered. And so we keep our head covered uh, because we believe we're constantly and always in service before the Lord. And the reality is as believers, that's very literally true. We are always in service before the Lord. I'm not telling you to go out and cover your head all the time, but I want you to understand, we are always in service before the Lord. It's not something we need a little hat to remind us of. We have the presence of Messiah in our hearts. We have the presence of the Ruach HaKodesh in our lives. 
that should be the reminding factor in our lives all the time that we are in service before the Lord. Uh, we were a seat seat, uh, CTO, the, the garment with the tassels on it because Numbers 15 tells us to wear tassels or CTO on the end of our garments so that when we look down upon them, we remember to keep the commandments. So we have these little reminders in our lives in a practical way of the Word of God and our relationship with the Lord. Uh, and the, it, it's a beautiful reality. And, and I think we need to, as believers, come up with concepts. We need to have some sort of, uh, of something in our lives that constantly reminds us of the call that we have in the Lord to go and preach repentance to others. And I don't mean just repentance as in, hey, your life's jacked up. You need to fix it, right? We're not doing a, uh, uh, um, uh, 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 what do they call it when you're trying to get somebody off of uh, uh, drugs or alcohol? Intervention. There we go. My mind went blank. We're not trying to draw people into a dark room that they don't know we're going to be there and do this crazy intervention for them or something like that. We're trying to see the Lord interact with their lives and change them. And the only way that works, in all honesty, the only way that works is if you and I walk so fervently in the presence of the Lord. If we walk so mightily and powerfully in the presence of the Lord that people see his presence on us and they want a part of it and their lives are changed by it. This is the concept that we need to live by in terms of repentance. We need to return to the Lord in such a fashion that our hearts are literally uh, constantly in that circumcised mode that we are constantly walking in the covenant that we are given, not just at Sinai or anything like that. I mean, the covenant in the blood of the Lamb that we are given to be righteous and holy. We are made new, not for our own sake, but for the Lord's sake. And so one of the ways that I think we should do so, because these, the taliqatan, the taligadol that we wear, the, the uh, phylacteries, the tefillin that you see Orthodox Jews wear on their arms and their heads in prayer, these are just reminders of something greater, of a greater concept. And that greater concept is the word. And so when I talk about how we need to have a reminder before us all the time of what our purpose, our call, our reality is, this is what we're talking about, the word of the Lord. We need to be in it. We need to be living by it. We need to be walking faithfully in the word. Every day we need to have the Bible open. When the, the Deuteronomy 6 uh, uh, five through nine, what we call the Vahafta prayer that's done in Judaism. We did it earlier. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Right. Uh, the towards the end of that, it says to bind it upon your forearm and and have it between your eyes. Uh, and the reality is, I don't think it literally is just talking about the the traditional leather wrap that we put around our arms. I think it's talking about the Word of God, because when you're reading it, it's bound to your forearm. Literally, the binding is attached to your arm, uh, but it's bound to your forearm and it's always before your eyes. That's what the Lord's calling us to do, is to be in His Word. When we become righteously saved by the Lord, when we become righteous in Him, His Word no longer is just something on paper and bound by leather, but it's something that's a part of our very hearts and our lives. And we have a distinct calling as believers in Messiah to take what the Lord has done in our lives to the nations around us, to the people we interact with, whether it's people at work, people at school, people at uh, the grocery store, the gas station, or whatever it may be. And like I said earlier, and we talked about it some last night, the days that we live in, they're rapidly dwindling down. Whether you're talking, I mean, anybody paid attention to what's going on at UN this week, right? We've now got Iran ticked off. Korea has obviously been ticked off with everybody for a long. North Korea has been ticked off with everybody for a long time now. Uh, you've got China and Japan kind of getting in the mix. You've got South Korea that's really scared for its life. Um, Israel, as though there isn't enough going on already. You've got the UN constantly 
pooping all over Israel left and right. Uh, every nation around Israel wants to slaughter Israel. Uh, all of those nations, when they're done with Israel, want to slaughter the U.S., the, 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 the uh, great devil, as they call it. Um, the, I mean, the whole world is in turmoil. We have wars and rumors of wars all over the place. Anybody pay attention to Mexico this the last two weeks? Right? Catastrophic earthquakes like we could never imagine. Right? People, in, there, there was an entire elementary school that collapsed in the middle of the thing was Mexico City with this 7.1 uh, uh, earthquake the other day, right? And they're still trying to see if they can save people from it. They have no clue what's, gonna, what's going on there or what's underneath the, the rubble. Uh, we have hurricanes. At one point, we had six hurricanes going on at once, three on the Atlantic side and three on the Pacific side all at once. You don't really see that very often. Uh, we had fires going on, still have fires going like crazy in the, the Northwest and uh, the Pacific Northwest. And you go uh, through Europe and there's riots and wars and everything going on here in the U.S. We have riots all over the place. Hearts are literally turned cold to one another. Father hates son. Son hates father. Uh, you have issues with uh, all, I mean, just everything you could imagine, right? Everyone does what they deem right in their own hearts. What we think is right, we call wrong. What we think is wrong, we call right. We do what we want to do. We don't care about anyone else. And what's worse, the body of Messiah is equally as guilty. We haven't done anything to improve the situation at all. Nothing. We're so focused. As a matter of fact, we are so much a part of the problem that we have somehow managed to flip the role of the local congregation around. The pastor the rabbi, the shepherd. Our role is to be a shepherd of the congregation. You know what a shepherd does? Feeds the flock. Brings the flock from milk to meat. Constantly cares for the flock. Nurtures the flock. But for some reason, we flip this thing around to where now the pastor is the evangelist. The one that's supposed to be shepherding the flock is the one that's constantly bringing the message of salvation. And every week, it's got to be a salvational message or it's a loss. Constantly. And we've directed the shepherding role off to small groups so that small group leaders are now the shepherds. And the shepherd itself, the one ordained by God to be a shepherd, is not really shepherding anymore. But then on top of that, the reason we've done that is because those of us sitting in the, 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 the comfy chairs or the pews or whatever, those of us that are listening to the messages, we don't want to get our hands dirty. We don't want to have to do what we are called to do. The reality is shepherds cannot produce more sheep. Only sheep can produce more sheep. Only sheep can produce more sheep. Either we're going to get on board and do our job as believers. It doesn't mean that the pastor can't go and lead people to salvation. They should. They're a part of the Great Commission as anyone else is. But it's our job as individuals in the body of Messiah. I personally believe salvation should happen outside of the congregation primarily, and then they'd be brought in to become part of the flock to be raised in salvation, to be raised from milk to meat and nurtured and cared for. The only way this really works, I mean, if we're just bringing people in and they're trickling in one or two at a time into the congregation to find salvation, we're not really impacting the world. But if we've got 70, 80, 100, 1,000, 10,000 people out in the streets touching hearts and lives, all of a sudden, lives are actually being changed. People's hearts are being turned to repentance and to the Lord and finding salvation. The Lord hasn't given us the great comfort. He hasn't given us the Ruach HaKodesh, His Holy Spirit, so that we could waste it, so that we could be greedy with it, so that we can sit here in our own little comfort zone and only care about the people in our little country club we call a local congregation. He's given us the Holy Spirit so we can impact the world around us. That's the only reason we have the Spirit of God, is so that we can impact the world around us. We either go out in the community and touch lives. When I, I waited tables, some of you know this, some of you don't. I waited tables for 16 years. 
uh, and uh, up until like two years ago. Waited tables for 16 years. And, and one of the neat things about waiting tables, uh, especially when you are, are clearly Jewish and you, know, you wear yarmulke all the time, seats, you, know, you got a beard, what have you, uh, is that people will call you over to ask you questions about Judaism. Uh, but what was really interesting was less that people would call me to ask questions, but they would call me over uh, and they would go, I had a question. So what's that? They go, are, are, you, are you Orthodox? I said, no, no, I'm, I'm actually Messianic. And I would explain what a Messianic Jew is. And I'd say, I'm actually a Messianic rabbi. I lead a Messianic synagogue in Daphne. And they'd go, see, I knew there was something different about you. I could, I could sense that there was something different about you. And I, I just had to talk to you and find out more and, and, and find out about it. And, and there were literally over the course of 16 years, there were hundreds upon hundreds of people that the Lord put in my path and what I call divine appointments for me to minister to. And they didn't come up to me, or I didn't rather, I didn't walk up to them and go, hey, here's a chick track. Do you know about the, the Lord? Is Yeshua the Lord of your life? Do you know? They walked up to me because there was something they saw that was different. And that's not to you know, boast about me, because frankly, if you look at me and if you talk to me for three minutes, you'll realize I'm really not that great in the first place. But the reality is that the Lord wants to work through us in a way that other people's lives are changed and impacted. Bottom line. And if we are not being used by the Lord in that way, if we're not honoring the words that come from Luke chapter 24, that we are to go out, uh, verse 47 says, and that repentance for the removal of sin is to be proclaimed in His name, in Yeshua's name, to all nations. If we're not taking part in that, and I don't mean taking part of it in the Jonah mindset where we ran through Nineveh because the Lord told us he was going to kill us if we didn't. And we run through Nineveh and say, repent or die, the Lord's going to kill you in three days and run off to watch the fireworks. I want you, how many of you realize that 100 years later, Nineveh repented right then and there, but how many realize 100 years later, Nineveh vanished off the face of the earth, never to be heard from or seen again? They do not exist anymore. And I don't believe that would be the case if Jonah had actually had a repentive heart himself and went into Nineveh with a desire to see Nineveh's lives changed and uh, disciple them and train them in walking in righteousness with the Lord. Instead, he was afraid for his own life. He was worried about himself and no one else. And he merely went into Nineveh and preached what the Lord put on his heart, bare minimum, preached what the Lord put on his heart about that one particular issue because he himself didn't want to die. And then he got mad at God for not killing those in Nineveh. How many of us find ourselves in that mentality? Maybe not quite as extreme. But somebody harms us, wrongs us, does something by us that we don't like, and, and we just want to see them destroyed. We want to watch the fireworks. But you know what? It doesn't work that way. If it did, there are people looking at our lives, wanting the exact same thing, and there'd be fireworks for them to watch. The truth of the matter is, is that you and I, on a general scope of things, because we are descendants of Adam and Eve, we're miserably, horribly, disgustingly fallen. And nothing about our lives as they are on their own will ever touch anyone. But if the power and presence of God is upon us as is promised through the saving grace of Yeshua, as is promised through the work of redemption and, and uh, restoration and remission of sin, as is promised through the outpouring of the Ruach HaKodesh, if we walk in the call to bring repentance to the world, the Lord can, will, and desires to do great things through us for his kingdom. It's time for us to stop warming seats and being concerned with being comfortable in our own lives, not rocking the boat. When the Lord called my wife and I to New York in 2004 
the first time he was working on her heart first before he worked on mine. I think it's because I'm an easier sell than she is. Uh, but he was working on her heart first, and she came to me one day about three, four months before uh, he had put the call on my heart. She said, I really feel like the Lord's saying we should move to New York. And I said, move to New York? We'd eat, eaten alive in New York. Like, we, we wouldn't, we, we're, we're Messianic Jews. We would not survive in the Jewish community in, in New York. It just wouldn't happen, wouldn't work. And finally, about three, four months later, the Lord put it on my heart, and I came to her and said, hey, I feel like the Lord's calling us to move to New York. What do you think? And she goes, what do you think I've been saying for the past couple of months? What do you? So we moved to New York, and lo and behold, he drops us in the midst of one of the most densely Jewish-populated counties in the entire state. Uh, Rockland County, about 70%, 65 70% of the county is Jewish, and about 50% of that are ultra-Orthodox. And I ended up working in this ultra-Orthodox community for a while. And the Lord just drops us. And so, you know, six months before that, I'm going, we wouldn't, we wouldn't get out alive. We wouldn't, wouldn't work. And, and the Lord sends a humor, poof, right there in the midst of it, in the middle of the mix. And, and we're just dealing with it. We helped plant a synagogue on the Upper East Side of Manhattan where every single brownstone on the street had mezuzahs on the door, which meant every single uh, owner of those, of those homes were Jewish. Here we are in the midst of it. Nothing we can do about it. This is what the Lord has for us. We prayed for uh, years that the Lord would never bring us back to Alabama. Uh, as a matter of fact, when we first moved to New York, we swore we would never come back to Alabama. Lost that one. Here we are. And what has the Lord done since we've been here? He's opened up opportunities for us to minister to Jewish people, to non-Jewish people, all over the county in ways that we could have never expected. And it's not because there's anything great about us. As a matter of fact, like I said earlier, you talk to anybody, you find out pretty quick. We're not that great. At least I'm not. She's pretty awesome. I'm pretty horrible. Uh, but, but the reality is, is, is there's nothing particularly special about us versus anyone else. It's just that most of the time, and I can say all the time, most of the time we're actually just willing to serve the Lord and do what he calls and what he wants of us. And we talk to people when he puts it on our heart. Uh, when you get that awkward call in the grocery store, hey, speak to that person behind you or the person on the other side of the gas pump or, uh, or anything along those lines. We're just willing to do it. And as uncomfortable as it is, we're just willing to. And I think that's what the Lord wants from us as believers, is that we'd be willing to follow his call and his lead and his ruach no matter what, so that others may come to find repentance and salvation. The great call as a believer is the call of the Great Commission, that we go and make Talmudim disciples of all nations. That's something to all of us. It's not something that only our pastor or our rabbi can do is make disciples. It's not something only the leader of the discipleship group in our congregation can do. It's a call that each of us are responsible for. It's to walk people through discipleship, through repentance, through salvation. And it's important that we grasp it first in our lives when we walk it out as we talked about last night. And then we take what the Lord is doing into the community around us so that others come to find the truth of his salvation. And I think in all honesty, as we are dealing with this season, this time frame, this period of history, and like I said last night, there hasn't been a generation alive since the first century that didn't believe Revelation was talking about their day. I believe this is our day. I believe it's happening before our eyes. And we're going to see Messiah return, if not in my lifetime, my children's. It's just what I believe. I won't give you a date because I can't do that. But I believe he's coming back soon. Which means that now in these days, as the world around us becomes more and more dark toward us, that the light that is, in us, that is within us does not become overpowered by the darkness around us. Yeshua promised us, no matter how much we want to think our lives are going to be easy as believers, Yeshua promised the world will hate us because of him. We just got to get over it. We got to get over it and move forward with what the Lord has put on our hearts to do. Move forward with the Great Commission and see other lives change. Avarachamim, Father of mercies, we worship you. 
We love you and we adore you. Father, I thank you that you challenge us with your word, that you challenge us with your call, that you challenge us to be something more than merely concerned about ourselves, our own walk, our own salvation, our own own life. Father, I thank you that you encourage us and call us to go and reach others for your besor, for your good news, that the gospel will go forth. And I pray that you encourage us and uplift us as we move forward in this desire to impact the world around us. Father, I pray that even today as we leave this place that you will put people in our path that we can minister to and touch and see them come to faith and knowledge of your salvation, saving grace. Father, I pray as we go out to Fairhope Pier to do Tashlik, that as last year and years before that, that people will watch and see and, and want to know more and, and ask us questions about what we're doing and, and who we are and why we're there. And Father, that you will open up opportunities for ministry, things that we could have never imagined. Father, I pray that you place divine appointments before each and every one of our footsteps that every breath we take will be used for the glory of your goodness and your kingdom. In the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, we pray and everyone says, Amen.